Thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. This is episode 93 with Susanna Rose Woods. Uh, Rosie, to me, is the artistic director of Island Shakespeare Festival. And uh, we have worked together for the last, whatever, seven years, six years, seven years. Um, And in this episode, we talk about Shakespeare and lot of Shakespeare and we talk about Island Shakespeare Festival and how uh, and why Rosie felt like starting a Shakespeare Festival on Woodby Island. And we also talk about ISF's exciting 2016 season uh, with Corey McDaniel joining us as well as Julie Beckman. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to today's sponsor, Island Shakespeare Festival. ISF is Whidbey Island's professional regional repertory theater. Their 2016 summer season runs July 8th to September 11th with As You Like It, directed by artistic director Susanna Rose Woods, Julius Caesar, directed by award-winning Seattle director Corey McDaniel, who's also the producing artistic director of Theater 22, and finally Julie Beckman will direct her award-winning adaptation of Jane Eyre, which premiered at Book It Rep in 1999. For more information about Island Shakespeare Festival, visit their website at www.islandshakespearefest.org and check out their Facebook page. Thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. This is Olina today, and I am here with... Susanna Rose Woods, the artistic director of Island Shakespeare Festival, which of course is very exciting for me. Um, I barely know her, JK. <laughs> um, we uh, we like to tell people that we share a brain, so um, I'm going to try and not answer my own questions though, and let her answer. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, but we, I'm so excited to talk about our season and, uh, to share our season with our listeners because we have some big stuff in the works for 2016. Um, so welcome. Hello. Thank you for joining me in my living room this evening. Um, I'll get the wine soon. So I think to start off, I would love to hear, um, kind of what, where you started with theater and what your early history is with Shakespeare and and why you've pursued a career in this crazy world <laughs> that we well, live in. It, Shakespeare started partly because my um, my grandfather was a, a scholar and I was born on his birthday six weeks early. And so as a consequence, I was named Susanna after Shakespeare's daughter. And my middle name was for the Rose Theater. So it really couldn't be more... Um, on the button in terms of uh, perhaps it chose me mm-hmm. at the time more than I chose him. But um, for my grandfather's birthday, he would always ask me to recite something. It started with sonnets, but by the time I was nine, he was asking me to do Henry V or Hamlet or Hermione or Queen Margaret or whatever. And, um, and that was all he wanted from me every year starting at age six uh, for his birthday present. <laughs> and um, it was, uh, I think that's sort of what started me in this direction of loving these words so much that this playwright brought into the world. And um, 
think my first experience in theater proper, I was a little kid and I was Tiger Lily in Peter Pan and Palo Alto Children's Theater. So it was a in the Bay Area. So um, and then from then on, it just kept going. And somewhere along the line, I realized I really didn't want to be an actor. I just loved being a director and a writer, which is the other thing I do. And um, and have been pretty much doing those two things nonstop for as long as I can remember. So flash forward, uh, you moved to Whidbey Island in secret. <laughs> yes. So I, um, a couple of people are responsible for theater for me on this island. I had not planned on doing any theater when I moved to Washington from the Bay Area. I had really intended to just come up here and write and um, do that full time and um, be here for my mom. And um, thanks to Katie Woodzik, <laughs> our and, wonderful producer, and Mar Martha Murphy, um, the two of them basically approached me about um, the theater and that I had a resume that was. Uh, extensive in the theater, and the next thing I knew I was being asked to direct for the Woodby Children's Theater, and um, and I did, and that was fun for me, and within that first year, though, I was really, really homesick for California and the Bay Area and outdoor Shakespeare and... Um, and you'd worked for um, a few different outdoor Shakespeare companies in the Bay Area. Yeah. Yes, I have, and um, and across the country. So for me, and I think my favorite, though, is this little a company called the Curtain Theater in Mill Valley, and um, in an in a incredible redwood grove behind a library in Mill Valley, and we would do these magnificent um, Shakespearean plays, and uh, and I was homesick for that energy. I was homesick for um, my peeps back there, and um, and it. People can complain about the weather all they like in Washington, but the summers here are glorious, and I just didn't understand why there wasn't a summer Shakespeare program on Whidbey Island, and so I started one, because <laughs> I'm bonkers. That was uh, 2010. Um, can you talk a little bit about that first year and oh getting getting started and how, how that even came to be? Oh, man. Um... <laughs> Well, Actually, like, well, I had been talking about it, and um, a, a few people had said that's not the brightest idea, and I remember um, really wanting to do it. And um, Timothy Hall and his parents had property out at the Whidbey Institute land and a natural amphitheater, and basically said, "Well, if you want to do it, we have land, and um, we could create an amphitheater." and Many months of intense hard work and clearing and um, trees being moved, all kinds of it was just it was hard hard work. We created um, our very humble and beautiful amphitheater in the middle of the forest. People had to hike in for ten minutes mm -hmm. and um, had our first show. It was very humble, but it was also magical because of that. Um, we were rain or shine. We, uh, we didn't know if anyone would show up. I really didn't know. And uh, I remember, and you know this, <laughs> I, being in a circle just before the show and um, telling the cast that if there are more people 
watching than there are on stage that we are a success. And um, and even if there's less, that we were still a success, but the goal was at least have as many people sitting out there as on the stage. And that first show, there were over 100 people, and I remember being um, blown away. 800 people showed up in two weekends for that show, and uh, which was, as you know, as you like it. <laughs> and uh, it... And that was that. After that, it was, well, I guess they like it, so we'll do another one. And then we did Romeo and Juliet and then Midsummer Night's Dream. And and I um, loved the woods. I absolutely loved everything about being there. But um, for a variety of reasons, we, we seemed to outgrow the space. And then we moved into Langley and and um, were there for at the back of the middle school for a while on a ginormous field and then moved... To where we are now, which is where we're pouring cement and <laughs> building an actual amphitheater, and um, and that'll be exciting for us. Over the growth of this company, obviously, when you started, it was who knew, who knows <laughs> what's going to happen. Um, but now that we're this is year seven, how do you feel your support has grown, and um, do you feel like, uh, yeah, I guess just that? How do you feel supported by? Um, Support. The community, the, the staff, whatever. I feel incredibly supported um, in general by the, by the community has been overwhelmingly positive. And I don't mean just our island community, the greater community into Seattle and beyond. I feel unbelievably supported by our, our loyal uh, fans, so to speak. I, but I want to take a moment and really talk about um, our vastly huge staff. <laughs> We are a staff of three, and we are... Um, oh, not 30? It's no, not a staff no, of three? I know oh, it feels like oh, it should be, but three. it's not. Yeah. We are a staff of three, and all three of us are founding members. So Michelle Durr is the genius managing director who has more numbers in her head than I think normal people ever do. And you can ask her questions. She just pops out numbers. I don't know how she does it, but she, she does all the nuts and bolts of this company, and... Um, kind of keeps us on track and in ways that we don't even know we're not on track. And I don't honestly think I could do the company without her. She's been, if I have a right arm and a left arm, Michelle would be my right arm. And you, as the associate artistic director now, um, are my left arm. Now, what that means is the three of us do so many jobs because that's the nature of these tiny nonprofits and the fact that we do more than will ever, ever be compensated except from our hearts and our souls. And I think um, it's important to me to honor the people that work with you and that make what you do grow and thrive. And we wouldn't be where we are without our support system, which includes our board, which includes our designers, which includes Rod Stewart from the <laughs> beginning, who's been with us helping out and um, with um, our, as a tech not director. Not Rod Stewart, the uh, singer... But no, Stewart, much more important the, than that. Yeah, Our, the tech director, and um, <laughs> and just the people who've been with us with and and Timothy Hull and people who've been rolling up their sleeves for us since the very beginning. Can you talk a little bit about um, your choices for this season uh, and um, kind of coming into those picking these three shows that we're doing, Julius Caesar, Jane Eyre, and now As You Like It. It wasn't originally no, going I was, to be As You Like I It. I was dying to do Shaw, but uh, one of the things that changed was we had made a decision 
after having been in a huge vintage circus tent for three years, that we would step back out into an amphitheater setting. And um, I missed being outside. And, uh, and I have a number of beloved advisors all over the country, and they thought that if we were returning to the outside, the advice I got was do another Shakespeare rather than um, a George Bernard Shaw. And because that felt more like a parlor piece, so I'm still holding on to that because I did a lot of work on prepping that. But um, but then I I realized if we were stepping back outside for year seven, which is a magic number, why not revisit As You Like It, which was our first show that we did, and um, come around full circle for our new amphitheater setting that we're that we're getting ready to do. And um, so As You Like It sort of came organically. It also was a really strong match because the other two plays are so powerful. And um, to have Jane Eyre directed by Julie Backman is such an honor for us. I'm so excited about that. And then to have Corey doing Julius Caesar, which is <laughs> amazing. Um, it, the, once those things were decided, I, I felt like As You Like It was a stronger um, comrade to the other two plays and created a more balanced season and so that's how it that's how that one came about it's uh it's exciting to think about those three plays running in in rotating rep this year yeah uh i'm excited obviously (laughs) um how about uh shakespeare generally do you i mean there's a lot of shakespeare festivals in the world um what makes isf special, I guess, why, what sets us, I mean, I'm a big part of ISF, so it's us, really, but uh, what sets us apart, do you think? Um, Uh, That's a really good question. I think I'm awed by the uh, incredible Shakespeare festivals around the globe. Some um, are in places where theater isn't allowed, and some People are brave and go into prisons or work with at-risk kids. And there's so many different ways that people go with this playwright. And from extremely unique um, reinterpretations um, to classical versions. And I am so obsessed with the words and the text of Shakespeare and classical theater in general that I really wanted to create a theater company that was specifically a classical theater company with Shakespeare at the core and the foundation of what we do, but to open the doors to um, new works based on old words, i.e. Jane Eyre last year, Three Musketeers, um, or um, Shakespeare, Sophocles, uh, Shaw, One Day, Chekhov, as you know, we're doing next year. So having, um, inviting the words back in and and sort of holding them sacred, I guess. I don't know. It It's super important to me that, that that idea that I'm taking words that have been spoken for hundreds, if not thousands of years, if we think of the Greeks, and bringing them back to life again for a modern audience and letting that wash over people and find the similarities and the differences uh, of what was written so long ago versus today, which for me is not that dissimilar. 
and I, um, I just continue to believe in the playwright's words, I guess, more than, and you know that. I, the words are, are tantamount to everything I do, and the text, always return to the text if you have a question. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of honoring a playwright, whether they're a, a living playwright today or someone who has been gone but is still living in the minds and hearts of people all over the world now. Yeah, when we start table work at every re uh, the beginning of every rehearsal process, uh, what do we do, Rose? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, and this is true whether it's a modern piece or a classical piece, but I always make the actors <laughs> write this question, why these words, at the front of their script and say, um, we will spend the next amount of weeks and performances answering that question. And um, the words, why these words is sort of the cornerstone of how I move into any play that I'm, that I'm delving into. It's tattooed on your body. It is, in fact, <laughs> a tattoo on my body. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, what about your uh, inspiration from Shakespeare as a writer? I, I don't really know about that uh, side of you as much, and I'm interested in how... Certainly as a theater artist, it's clear that Shakespeare has, and, and the classics have a huge influence on your work, but as a writer, can you identify any ways in which Shakespeare has influenced you? Uh, I, th I think so subliminally every day that it, it, I'll have to think a moment on how specifically. I, I've been really blessed to be able to make my living as a writer and a director, and um, although if a young person came up to me and said, should I be a writer or a director when I grow up? I'd go, um, I don't know. But I sometimes think that these choices... <laughs> it's a choice. Um, <laughs> it's a choice. There's always consequences with choices. But I honestly think that when, um, when one becomes an artist of any kind, that there is an element of it choosing you as much as you choosing it. Um, I, as a writer... I think I go back to when I'm stuck in a, either if I have a deadline or I'm stuck in a modern piece or whatever I'm writing about. Um, I tend to go back to favorite authors. That includes Shakespeare. It might include uh, novelists. It might include uh, an American um, classicist. I mean, it's so that it, it it's not specifically Shakespeare, but he's certainly the core of so much of what I do in the world that yeah. if I get stuck, I will often go back and look at that. And he was an incredible theft um, thief himself. I mean, he stole so many of his ideas from other writers that had come before him. So pretty much all of them, and I all of them, <laughs> yeah. including some that he was a contemporary of. So <laughs> I think that um, I we always want to think everything we're doing is unique and exciting and new and. Um, I am no different than anyone else. I love thinking my ideas might be unique, but um, often it's what creates who we are is often the foundations of how we came to believe what we believe. Mm -hmm. And that's true whether it's from ex our history, our experiences, what we read, how we read uh, everything from poetry slams to sonnets. And, uh, and I carry a battered book of sonnets in my purse every day. Every single day of my life, I've, I've never left my house without. It's really my battered. It's really battered. Like maybe 
needs I, some band-aids. I probably need a new one, but, um, <laughs> but I can't leave my home without the sonnets and, um, and a few marbles, which I always have at the bottom of my purse in case I lose any of mine. So I, um, it, it's funny, these funny little talismans or touchstones that we have in our life that we hold on to, whether that's um, words or literature or favorite phrases or favorite plays or moments um, or tangible things. It's those. It's that special prop you had in a play that meant something to you that you still keep, or a program from something that people signed for you that mm-hmm. you can't let go of because it's connected to your to some sacred part of yourself. Yeah. So returning to as you like it, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, the the world in which as you like it will be presented this year? Uh, yes, uh, for this year, it, this is a bit of a radical departure for me because I tend to lean much more into um, a uh, more classicist version of Shakespeare, so to speak. Um, but I, when I started thinking about As You Like It with new with a new lens, having I've direct this will be the third time I direct it. I started thinking about what happens in the play, and essentially, Rosalind is kicked out of her home, and of course Celia and Touchstone run away with her, and they go to the Forest of Arden, and there are all these expats, so to speak, who fled um, for their lives to be somewhere else. And of course, everywhere in the news today, we're talking about refugees and people fleeing for their lives, and I started asking the question of, where do we go if we have nowhere safe to be in our own home? So where is our Forest of Arden? Where is our Thomas More's Utopia? Where is that place that... Um, is our safety net, and Shakespeare writes often about going to the woods to find your love, your magic, your your safety, and this play is no exception, but I started to play with what that looked like, and then I started to read so much about the history of refugees, and um, from today back to the Greeks, and, and during Shakespeare's time, um, there was a lot about this on um, Facebook recently, There was a huge amount of refugees that were coming into England at the time, and he wrote about them, about opening hearts and homes to them. And um, then I started looking at one of the times in history in Europe that the largest amount of refugees were being sort of released back into the world was in the late 50s and early 60s, and um, when they essentially emptied out all the refugee camps um, from World War II. And it took all the way into the end of the 50s and early 60s for that to occur. And I started thinking about people who hadn't been home in 20 years. We're now finding new places to go and uh, more travelers or or gypsies sort of took over and um, people had to find their way again. So I thought a lot about what was happening in England at the time specifically because England was one of the places where so many people came for um, some kind of safety and sustenance. And and in the very late 50s and early 60s, there was this incredible um, surge of the mods um, versus the bohemians versus the beatniks. Uh, and I wanted to play with what that would look like. So I've set the play in that time frame to look at um, what that might feel like using that as sort of sort of that historical lens of what was going on at the time and the interesting sort of uh, w- inner wars going on between cultures um, even in even in 
in such a short period of time. This is pre uh, hippie dumb. This is pre rock and roll. In a in what we came to think of as rock and roll, this is that early time when beat poets were having an opinion about what they were saying, and the Bohemians were the precursor to what we now consider the sort of the romantic hippie um, era. And then, of course, the the mods were the well dressed, wearing Italian suits and and being um, uh, part of what was considered more an upper class, but not always. I mean, it was more that you had to look a certain way. So I thought we'd play with that. Our costume designers having a field day with that imagery, and um, and it, it's iconic in many ways. I think it will hopefully bring home uh, to a modern audience the imagery will feel perhaps hopefully familiar to people and be fun. It is a comedy, but there's some serious overtones and undertones in the play, and so I wanted to play with that and see what that felt like. So that's what this year's production will be. I'll probably go reverse next year for Hamlet and do it completely Elizabethan, but we'll see. <laughs> but um, I think that we uh, we go where our heart leads us, and that that's kind of where my heart and research led me to this. I'm excited about it. Me too. <laughs> um, how would you describe your process as a director? Do you find that your approach is different from play to play, or do you have a kind of a set uh, technique that you use in approaching a text and, and bringing it to life? I think... Well, I, I start with the words and I sort of memorize them in a way. If it, it, I in my body, not necessarily my brain, um, to see if I can understand whatever the playwright is, is trying to say. And I feel it's a huge responsibility, I feel, as a director to take these words that someone wrote and bring them to life. And then, pursuant to that, I try to hire the best people to do that. And I, I do have a pretty strong philosophy of hiring the best people and then getting out of the way in terms of design and... Um, uh, building and all of that with actors there's this incredible intimate trust it's symbiotic I think that happens in the early stages of a director saying here's my vision and an actor saying okay and this is what I'm coming to the table with and having directors are painting with living beings we're not we don't have paint on a canvas so to speak and so paint doesn't talk back to you but uh, but human beings have their own uh, emotions and feelings and um, and intellectual ideas and ideologies that they come to the table with. And so, in a beautiful way, it becomes incredibly collaborative. And uh, I think of myself as a strong collaborative director. I think that most people I've worked with would concur. I concur. <laughs> Phew! <laughs> But I, but I believe in the voice of the actors I've cast, mm -hmm. or I wouldn't have cast them. And I um, believe in my vision, and I know that somewhere there, the truth is in the middle of those two things. Um, similarly with designers, people come to the table thinking, all right, I sat in your brain for a while, this is what I heard, this is what the colors and things that I'm feeling around this, what do you think about this? And I'm often blown away by what... Um, comes back to the table with um, both set design, costume design, and music design. I mean, we've got um, all original music being written um, all the way from Korea with our <laughs> um, composer this year, and uh, 
and the music coming in is gorgeous. So it's just really, really beautiful, and I'm excited about that. So, um, but it's not like I'm sitting there next to a composer or an actor or designer saying, "No, I want. I don't micromanage. I don't. I don't believe in doing that." And ultimately, if things feel off for me, it's always going to come back to the words. You know, if something's off, let's all go back and look at the text and see what it is we're missing, and see if we can rediscover whatever that initial vision was that we talked about around the table in the beginning. And for the most part, that happens. Even in Tech Week, when everybody could, sometimes hates everybody else, I think often that's... <laughs> She's I, referring to me. It happened once, <laughs> maybe twice. I don't usually hate you during Tech Week anymore. I really don't. I don't. I did not last year. I hated myself last year There's the most, of, most of the process, but you're, not you. Um, <laughs> The only director who has hated me during Tech but I, um, but I sort of feel that's a badge of honor to some extent because I know that I'm, I'm, I know that I push people. I know that I expect um, uh, extraordinary things out of them, and I push. And if I don't feel I'm, that they're really showing up or they're giving everything, absolutely everything they ever have ever given in their life, then I will push until I get that. And I'll do that with the most tiny scenes. As well as the big scenes. And, oh, absolutely. Um, That's uh, that is absolutely true. I think the biggest, um, the biggest proof of that for me was in the Tempest last year, and the scenes between the royals, which are usually throwaway scenes that make no sense and are really low stakes and don't matter at all, were some of the most riveting scenes in our production. I think. Having watched the whole play every <laughs> night as Ariel from different vantage points, I I just don't feel that there's any wasted space or words in Certainly. a script. I mean, once I cut it, but, <laughs> <laughs> I say that carefully. Um, but I think that she cuts very little. It's true. It's I like little. the words, I, but yeah. um, <laughs> and I but I do think that every single moment an actor's on stage is an opportunity for. Um, visceral, intimate truth. And uh, so I guess I have kind of a raw style. I'm extremely physical. I am i don't believe an actor should be on the stage until they broke a sweat. I feel that um, if you tell the truth in your body, you're telling the truth with your words. And I, so I like actors to be completely physically overtaken almost. That yeah. it's, it's um, into becoming something. I mean, I have things that I do to get actors there. Yeah, you do. Um, our rehearsals are closed, of course, so I don't know if, like, probably there aren't that many people that know that we do um, these viewpoints exercises before every rehearsal. We warm up with, with viewpoints. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, viewpoints is and um, why uh, you use that technique as an approach to I, uh, getting us there? I, um... Well, viewpoints um, is a, a system of get. It's a system of getting toward to the truth in theater and acting. And I mean, it's a that's a whole podcast. Talk, so, <laughs> uh, and I studied, like whole, yeah, it's like a, a whole. And I studied it um, uh, with people from the city company in New York, and um, and it rocked my world in a lot of ways. Um, with Suzuki, which was some of the most painful um, memories I've ever had. <laughs> but um, but I, what came out of that for me um, was perhaps a hybrid of what I do with it now, because I tightened it into working in a short 15-minute space, 
to get actors, because actor, everybody's actors are people, and they're coming from their families, their kids, their jobs, their other lives, their spouses, whatever, and they sometimes walk in the door or into the theater, or if you're outside, um, with all that coming in with them, almost like a cloud behind them. And what I have found is that our warm-ups get people out of their head. And I always like to say that if you watch a two-year-old having a tantrum in a grocery store, they're telling the absolute truth. And it's in the moment, and nothing is more important than whatever it is that they're screaming about, because it is the truth. And I, it's not that I want my actors to act like two-year-olds, but I well, do... sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> but I do think that it's really important to be so completely in your body that you forget your own name to some extent. You know, there's very few things in the world that we do that that take us out of our own brain and our own ego and our own ideas and what we think and telling, quote, a story that we think we should be telling and just get us straight to the bones and the marrow of whatever the truth is. And if I can help an actor get to that place, I feel um, lucky, and then I get out of the way because they're already doing the work that they need to do anyway. I respect actors because they're the bravest people I know. Um, what are you most excited for this season? Oh, There's God. a lot to be excited oh, for, I know. So you can list, like, 20 things. That's fine. But um, <laughs> starting with the top. Um, the, I'm most excited that I'm back outside again. I love being outdoors. I, um, I'm thrilled with the set designs that Pete Rush are doing because the hype of this will be crazy. And so I, um, I'm thrilled about that. And uh, I feel that we... This particular year, I just feel we have an incredible team. I'm so gobsmacked and that both Corey uh, and Julie are coming to direct for us. It's Corey McDaniel, um, producing artistic director of Theater 22, and Julie Beckman, uh, uh, who's freelance director in Seattle. Yes. And all over. And, um, and just beloved people to me, and I, their vision and their passion in this just is, ignites me in some way. So I'm thrilled. We, had, we learned a lot about how we all worked when we were going through the casting process as a, as a <laughs> team, and um, that alone makes me excited about what this summer's going to feel like because I think they're both mad geniuses, and I can't wait to see what they do with the words that they'll be working with. Well, with Julie, it's her own words in a weird way, sort of, before they were somebody else's. But um, <laughs> I think that uh, that, and then the I think we have put together an astounding group of, of truly talented actors. And um, out of probably over 200 people that I auditioned from here to New York, we chose 15. And we made the choice while we were auditioning that every single actor had to be in every single show. And that was... Uh, it's risky to do that. There's a lot of actors who can't rehearse nine hours a day, and um, and so that was an important distinction of this year specifically. And, uh, and of course, as you know, we house everybody, and we pay them, and we try to feed them, and we do what we can, but um, this year we're also housing a pig, <laughs> and um, which I'm excited about because I've just decided to put her Scarlet. in the place. Scarlet. We get to meet Scarlet this weekend. We're very excited about it. And uh, so Scarlet's going to be in my play because I, <laughs> the idea that I could have a pig in my play is just too good. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I think that having 
this group of actors um, from all over, but so many from Seattle, and there's something about the hunger and the, um, the depth and the rawness and the intellectual acumen of Seattle actors that I really admire. And of course, many Seattle actors are really also from New York as, or Tennessee. Or, I mean, it's a, like San Francisco, which is where I come from. It's this incredible hodgepodge of people who've come here from everywhere else, from Ashland, Oregon, mm -hmm. or New York, or wherever. So I'm excited to have the opportunity to play in the sandbox with these creative beings. And then our design team is crazy. And, um, and it's, I, th I think it will be... So I'm really excited about all of it, and um, and uh, having making the choice to to buy the containers, which is such a weird choice. But why not build a theater out of repurposed containers? Why not? I mean, I'm f I feel so passionately about our sort of environmental choices as a theater company. Why not repurpose? Why not continue to create things um, in mindful ways? And uh, it, that part is. I can't, I'm, it's off the hook thinking about the containers. I don't even know what to do with them yet, and I'm excited about them. Well, as anyone who listened to our Kickstarter video um, or watched it knows, I am most excited about floors <laughs> this season. That is number one for me, the floors. Um, yeah, so can you talk a little bit more about um, that decision and why containers and how, how we funded them? Okay, so... Um, <laughs> When we decided, I'm going to go back to when we just, when we bought the circus tent. Um, we did our first Kickstarter, and uh, shout out Peggy Juvie, Kickstarter genius, genius She's, goddess. Yeah, Kickstarter. I, I will say fucking goddess. <laughs> Peggy Juvie is a Kickstarter goddess. She's amazing. Good job, board president. So, She's great. Love her. Peggy just had the chutzpah to um, call Mr. Armbruster, who was part, who was the creator of Arm Brewster Tents, and just asked if he had a circus tent. And the next thing I knew, we were um, doing a Kickstarter to, to raise <laughs> money for a vintage... That's how she works. She's I just know, like, she just oh, like, you you have this idea. Oh, you want to start a Shakespeare festival? Great, let me raise you <laughs> lots of money. <laughs> oh, you want a tent? Okay, great, do we're that. doing it. We got okay. it. You Good want job. containers? Let's do a Kickstarter. Yeah, so, so I, I feel like um, <laughs> that's true. And... Uh, and that Kickstarter, it's a lot of work, but it went really well. And this, when we decided to do it again, it's because part of the weather and not having floors and the mud and um, just some of the <laughs> crises around weather that we've had more this last storms. year than ever before. Big storms in August. We went through like so many of our, and I'm talking large backstage tents um, just destroyed, like turned into uh, um, twisted, twisted metal. metal. Literally, carport tents, and, twisted um, metal. And our big tent sustained some serious damage um, just from constant wear and tear. And so we're repairing it, but um, we had already been discussing as a company artistically to use the tent as an incredible lobby and have all of our wine, beer, food, everything that's that we sell um, in the lobby and places for people to sit and then being out in an amphitheater and uh, having ground seating as well as risers. And so that was already in the works. And then the next thing I knew we were thinking about, well, what if, if we're an amphitheater, what kind of amphitheater? I, and I looked at, I worked with many of them and I looked at all the different models and I sort of made the decision 
that there's so much exciting things happening in the world of containers today with homes and all kinds of things and offices. And I thought, well, why not build a theater out of containers and see what would that look like? And so, as you know, we did a giant field trip to the container world and um, <laughs> met guys whose whole universe is about um, remodeling containers and outfitting them for whoever's buying them. And so... They seemed really excited about the prospects of doing this because they'd never done this for a theater before, and we were really excited. And so, actually, this coming week, I go and have our final meeting with them, and they, and they start working on them. So, I don't think if anyone had said to me two years ago, "You're going to have an outdoor amphitheater w with containers," I would have believed them. <laughs> but I might not have believed um, seven years ago that I would have had a. a sh Shakespeare Festival and would be island either. So I think that sometimes the world just opens itself to you and and you have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and we have one more big fundraiser coming up as well to continue funding our season. That's so much fun too because our board are... We have a great board that love to throw parties, basically. I mean, that's <laughs> what it boils down to. These are amazing men and women who love to throw just killer parties. So this year, um, there was discussions about farm to table or being outdoors, and this year we're going to be at a winery called Comfort's Winery, and um, this incredible menu, and uh, it's catered, and we're going to have all kinds of Shakespearean entertainment, and, um, and even the decorations are crazy. They're getting old Shakespearean books to put on tables. Some of them will be mine, and um, <laughs> and I think that it's um, it's going to be just an event. It, it it'll be out kind of outdoors, kind of indoors, and lots of wine, I'm sure, because we're at a winery. But um, I think it will be one of those things people remember for a long time. Mm -hmm. With some really great auction items as well. Yeah, there's a trip really to good. France. Yeah. So, so yes, <laughs> NBD, whatever. Um, what do you hope people who come to Island Shakespeare Festival for the first time, what, what do you hope their takeaway is from that experience? This season in particular. I think it's such a different season for us and such a huge season of growth. Uh, it's a great opportunity to offer something really uh, tangible in, in that experience. And What do you hope that is? I... I have a great love of the first-time Shakespearean audience member. I mean, I love, I cherish those people. I especially cherish the people who've been dragged there, kicking and screaming, telling either their parents or their spouse, I hate Shakespeare. And um, I love those people. Because part of the joy of doing this for me is demystifying these words that we think are so exalted and making them everyday language and telling stories that are still true today. And I, I suppose what I hope people get out of this is the sense of each story being so um, profoundly beautiful in its own right. Uh, Caesar's, I mean, of course we're doing Caesar. It's an election year, you know, and it's seeing some of that um, drama on our national stage now. Um, in terms of Jane Eyre, the fact that there's always something about the hero's journey for me and Jane Eyre and the idea that this plucky tiny woman has her own ideas about what's right for her and 
and creates her own life. I mean, it's a story I've loved forever. For As You Like It, I hope people... It's a big valentine to me. It's a ginormous, spectacular love story. And uh, people... You, and it's about gender, and it's about fluidity, and it's about the idea that love is possible in all kinds of ways, with all kinds of loves, from uh, familial to lovers. And it's sexy, and it's dirty and it's just fun and I think um, I, th I think people will have fun with that and feel like they've been out at some kind of concert for you know an hour two hours um, I hope that people come away from Shakespeare this summer with a sense of feeling like they belong that there's a sense of community and a sense of belonging and a sense of that those words and stories and people and performances wrapped around them so completely and their hearts that they're altered when they leave, that they're not the same person that they were when they walked in. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me to talk about our little, our little Shakespeare Festival that's um, not so little anymore, turns out. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for asking me. I am I'm honored to have sit, sat here in your living room <laughs> doing this. More to come on Island Shakespeare Festival uh, throughout the summer. Thanks for kicking it off. <laughs> Thank you.